0: Well, are you guys ready for the word this morning? Well, this morning I've entitled the message, We Live for the Lord. And we've just spent the last couple chapters where Paul's been describing kind of what it looks like to be a Christian. He's showing all the characteristics that a Christian might have but then we're going to begin to to look at today why is it that Christians live that way why why is it that that we are to to do these things to have these characteristics about us why are we supposed to be a living sacrifice for him and today we're going to find out the reason why we live this way is because we are his how many of you guys know that uh, if you're born again if you're saved you're purchased for a price that you are no longer your own we do these things for him, for a God who gave everything for us. You'll rarely hear me preaching about these are the things you have to do. These are the things that, that have to be done because I believe that when we, we, we do things to worship God, but we do them out of a sense of duty or a sense of obligation, that's actually not worship at all. that's, that's just works. It's just a checklist. But the reality is is that when you get a hold of what God has done for you, that he made you brand new, that he forgave you for all of that stuff that you've ever done in your life, that he gave up every, he gave his life for you. When you get a hold of that, naturally you'll begin to live for him because you wonder, what else can I do? You see it in a a much smaller capacity in our everyday lives. When I go to, to the Circle K or something to grab coffee with my coworkers, And I buy them a cup of coffee. You know what happens the next day? They're like chomping at the bit to buy me a cup of coffee because they want to somehow, it's a natural response. He did it for me. I want to do it for him. And this is on a much grander scale because Christ gave you so much more than anything. And if we can do it over a cup of coffee, why can't we return that and live for him when he's given so much for us? But just as we live for him, we have to be careful and how we perceive others as well who might have slightly different convictions. They might have a slightly different uh, theology. We have to be careful how we look at others when we walk with the Lord as well because the truth is is that they're walking for the Lord as well. And I'm not talking about salvation issues. Like if someone's going to a church and they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, yeah, you need to get a hold of those people and get them into a church where they, 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 they preach life. If they're they're getting into stuff where they preach works, you know, that's something we should probably do. That's a that's a heaven our hell thing. that's a salvation thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is these slight theological or denominational differences that we might have. And we'll go into it a little bit more detail, but we have to understand that if they got Jesus right, if they got the heaven and hell stuff right, then we can co-labor with them and make an impact for this community even with these differences that we have with one another, we should still be able to serve the kingdom of heaven with them. Amen? So we have to be careful with how we view others, remembering that we live for the Lord, but they're living for the Lord as well. Sometimes we just see some minor different ways to do it. And it's like I said, as long as it's not a heaven or hell thing, it's not something worth tearing the church apart. It's not worth tearing the kingdom of heaven apart because we want to be right i have a sneaking suspicion one day we're going to stand before god and find out that we were all wrong in a lot of stuff hallelujah so let's go ahead and get started romans 14 verses one through four says as for the one who is weak in faith welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables that's why i don't eat vegetables i'm not weak does he may eat anything, but while the weak person eats only vegetables, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Isn't that good news that the Lord is able to make us stand? Crazy. You know, there's I didn't even notice that until right now. You guys have heard me Jude one twenty four is my favorite. And I hit down to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. God is able to, pre- and then it says right here, the Lord is able to make you stand. A church, I truly believe that Christians can live without sin. I know that we don't. And I know that it's a it's a struggle, but I believe it's 100% possible because what Jesus did was enough. We just have to have a revelation and get a hold of that. And when I do fail, I don't get too beat up about it because Paul even said, I've not attained it yet. Paul, who wrote most of the Bible, they would, the New Testament that we read from, he says he hasn't attained it yet. Apparently, I'm in good company. But the thing is, is that we are many different people with different levels of faith in different areas. Has you ever noticed that there's some areas in your life you can have a super strong faith, but there's other areas that, that you, you struggle with a little bit more? I know for me, uh, finances, giving is something that, that from the very beginning we decided we we're going to trust God. God was faithful. And my, my faith for finances to give even when it seems like I shouldn't, my faith for that stuff is, is, is strong. Like I, I don't even question. I don't have a, a second of doubt. There's no hesitation. I just, I'm going to give. I'm going to be faithful. But there's other areas of my life where I, I struggle a little bit more to apply that same kind of faith. And I don't know why that is. I keep studying the word of God. It keeps getting better. But healing is one of those areas that I struggle with a little bit more. Like it's it's a little bit, when I hear about people getting miraculously healed, you want to know where my mind goes first? It's not praise God. It's like looking for the loophole, looking for the trick. I'm looking and i have to fight that i'm like get you know get get back you you know that god can do amazing things why do you struggle in this and i don't know why it is i think that's why the very first time i ever preached i did a practice preach one at the church but then we went to africa and did a missions trip in africa and the very first time that i'm I'm preaching for real so this is technically my second time ever preaching and uh, we had to prepare four messages to teach these. these we were actually teaching pastors. This is, a, it's a yeah, go figure. They had the guy that's never preached before teaching other pastors. That's when I was told that, you know, the reality is, is that almost everybody in America has more knowledge of the word than some pastors in third world countries. And we always think that we're not ready. We don't know enough. You know, we just got to be somewhere else before we can be effective for God. I mean, these there are people out there that, that churches came through and they they ordained these ministers. They didn't even give them a Bible. They just had a stack of notes. That's all they got. They got a few scriptures, but they're giving it all that they got. But anyway, me and uh, uh, another young guy who was a, a pastor, uh, was one of the youth leaders. He had, I don't know if he was ordained yet. I wasn't ordained yet. And went up there to preach. And I said, Pastor Mike, what do you want me to preach on? Who wants to guess what he had me to preach on? <laughs> Healing. So I... God was like, "Yeah, I think you need to learn this stuff. Spend some time in the Word here." And not only that, like when you're, if you've ever first start preaching, like it, it takes some work to put together a message. And like I'm thinking, I can get one message down that encompasses all, you know, all of healing, because that's how it happened in the beginning. And now that I'm older and I, I'm more mature, and I preach a little bit more, like you don't want to let me try to get all of healing in one message. We'll be here for hours. But back then, I mean, it was all I could do to to get it, to get you know 45 minutes up here, half hour up here. I had to put in all kinds of. And I had to do four messages on healing. How was I going to split this up into four messages? But it was God beginning to teach me something because I needed to grow in that area. And the reality is is that we all have different areas of strengths and different areas of faith. Sometimes we're strong in an area, sometimes we're weak in another area. But we should never look down at one another and, and criticize people for their weaknesses. This is what he says here. One person believes he may eat anything, and that's someone who is strong in the faith and realizes it's not the food that makes you whole. And then maybe this is a, this one here says, while well, the weak person eats only vegetables. Maybe this is someone who is a, a Greek believer, and he, he just got out of, of temple worship, and he understands what those sacrifices were for, and, and he wants to do the right. He's struggling a little bit in that. He doesn't have a revelation that he can eat anything and it doesn't matter, and he wants to stay away from that past. So we said, well, the weak per- so We don't need to judge others for their weakness because the truth is, is we all have areas of weakness. But we should actually be encouraging one another's faith. We should teach one another and encourage one another. And it's not about it's not about you know pointing out people's flaws, but instead pointing out Jesus' success in their life. You know, in this example, we wouldn't if we were trying to teach this person, we wouldn't tell them how stupid they are. Instead, we would just go ahead and and begin to share with them the word of God, how it describes that they are whole, that they are clean, that, that, that food doesn't matter, it's what Christ has done inside of them. We lift them up instead of tear them down. Because the truth is, it is so easy to find fault in anything. So easy. Here's a story that I thought was funny. There's a story of an old man whose grandson rode a donkey while they were traveling From one city to another. And the man heard some people say, Would you look at that old man suffering on his feet while that strong young boy is totally capable of walking? So then the old man rode the donkey while the boy walked. And then he heard some people say, Would you look at that healthy man making that young poor boy suffer? Can you believe it? So the man and the boy, they both rode the donkey. And then they heard some people say, Would you look at those two heavy brutes making that poor donkey suffer? So then they both got off and walked until they heard some people say, would you look at that waste, a perfectly good donkey not being used? You can find fault in anything, in any situation. But ultimately, if we take care of our own problems that are focusing on somebody else's, we're going to make a stronger body. We're going to have a stronger church. If we'll focus on, on spending the time with yourself, not how everybody else is failing. There's a 90s proverb that says, if we would just sweep our own doorstep the world would be a better place. I think he got it from the Bible. It says it like in the Bible. Why head in with the log in your own eye before you start pointing out the sliver in somebody else's. Paul's dealing with some issue here where the, the believers in the early church, where they were from different backgrounds, different histories. Kind of like the church today, we all have different backgrounds. Some of us grew up no church at all. Some of us grew up... From a Catholic church background or a Methodist, some of us came from much worse. All different backgrounds, and we have different viewpoints of how things are supposed to be. And right now, we have some Jewish believers who are still dealing with the transition from Judaism. And then we have some, some were Gentiles who previously had no restrictions on their life, they just did what was right in their own eyes. And the point that Paul is making is we need to begin to accept these people as brothers and not judge them unworthy or look down on them for their immaturity because all of us are immature from time to time and the truth is is that we don't stand before one another for acceptance you know on judgment day i'm not going to go joseph did i do okay did i did i do all right <laughs> we're not going to stand before one another Even if they say nice words, it wouldn't matter. The one who judges us is the Lord. And he's the one that says we're worthy or acceptable, not one another. And the success of a Christian life doesn't depend on the opinions of others. Amen? I'm so glad for that. There have been people that uh, have not thought I was a very good pastor and they've left the church. And I thank God that I don't have to to, to live up to their expectations. I just have to live up to the Lord's. I have to be obedient to him. And to judge, the, to judge the success or the work of another Christian doesn't make any sense because they're not going to answer to me. I'm not the one that says, yes, you get in. And this isn't to say that we can't speak into one another's life because we should. We should be helping each other grow. We should be lifting one another up, particularly when given the opportunity. But we can't just go barging into someone's life and expect to make a difference. To speak into someone's life, you have to be given permission to do so. Otherwise, you're just going to make a mess and really push them in a different direction than you intended them to go. And he continues on in verses five through six. He says, one person esteems one day is better than another while the other esteems all days alike. And each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, the one who observes the day he observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. Do you know that there are some things in the Bible that are explicitly forbidden? There are some things that... uh, uh, There's no question about it. It's it's cut and dry. These things are sin. Some things we know aren't. But there are some things that aren't specifically mentioned. There are some things that aren't specifically categorized as sin or not sin. And there are things that are happening in the church today that people are doing that the traditional church might categorize as wrong. For instance, the way we do music would oftentimes be criticized by more traditional churches. And the truth is, is that when we see something that we don't necessarily agree with, but it's not dealt with in scripture, we do need to be careful. We need to make sure that and how we judge what is going on, because there are things like this where it's talking about holidays. One person esteems a day is better than another while the other esteems all days alike. There's no, there's nothing nowhere in Scripture that says thou shalt celebrate these holidays and thou shalt not celebrate these other holidays. Some things we have to make a decision. And here's where it boils down to. One, we've got to be fully convinced in our own mind. We need to be convinced of what we're doing. If you're going to celebrate something and, and you're not convinced, you're a little bit queasy inside about it, I would suggest you don't. Even if another Christian is fully convinced and can do it himself. When we're talking about music in the church, we worship like this because I'm convinced that's still worshiping God. But if somebody came in here and and they were convinced that 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 wasn't and they couldn't operate in faith in that area, then I would recommend that they find a place that they can. I once dealt with a man from the church of Christ and they don't believe in instruments and worship. They just sing with their voices, which is fine. I think you can sing with your voice just fine but I also think we can use instruments as well. And I think that even with differences like that, that we can still support the kingdom of God together, we can still work together and make an impact in this kingdom. Whether you just sing with your voice or I use an instrument, it doesn't really matter. Another that we see different uh, opinions on us, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Here in this church, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues and healing and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. We believe in all of that stuff. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still active today. The gifts are for today. They're for building up his church. But there are those who don't believe that. Matter of fact, the Springs Church right across the way, they, they are, they're they a Baptist church, free will Baptist church, and they don't, they don't teach about the gifts of the spirit they don't they don't necessarily believe that they're for today but we're great friends we have a great relationship matter of fact they have poured more uh support both uh as a pastor a friend uh, a friend that i can have where you can we can communicate and 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 talk about things that i'm not a, uh, able to talk about to, to other people he's, he's been a great support to me and financially they poured a lot of money into this church too and we have a lot of stuff that we disagree with. You know what we got right? The heaven and hell bit. Jesus was God. He's the only name under which you can be saved. We got that bit right, so we can still work together. The thing is, is we have to be careful about pointing fingers. This is what Jesus said about it. In John 21, 21 through 22, it says, When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, about what about this man? He's talking about one of the other apostles. The the one that Jesus loved, John. He said, Peter said, What about this man? And Jesus said to him, It is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. It's funny that that Peter, who is one of the pillars of the church, is acting like a child. My kids do that all the time. Not so much more with just one there, but when I had all of them there, hey, you need a room. But Haley's not her room's not clean. I wasn't talking about Haley. I was talking about you. What does that have to do with you? But like I said, the important thing is that we have to be convinced in our own. If you think that something might be a problem, then it is for you. Romans 14, says anything not from faith is sin. If you can do something in faith, if you can't be convinced in your own mind, you should probably walk away. And that's why it's key to spend time in the Word to have your mind renewed so that way you can make decisions on stuff that isn't explicitly mentioned in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we can have pancakes for breakfast. But I'm convinced that that's okay. I'm convinced. In this case, Paul's referring to. Man, I'm never going to get done today. In this case, to the holidays each culture had established. Most likely, and particularly in this case, it was the Sabbath because the Gentiles often considered it just laziness when the Jews wouldn't work that day. That's how they viewed They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand that they were worshiping and honoring their God. They didn't understand that this was actually a precept from God, that they were a commandment that they were to do. And they just, oh, look at them. I'll be honest with you. For a while I had a hard time understanding why wiping would would celebrate Jewish holidays. And for a long time I was like, Why just says that you know, if you're going to hold any part of the law, then you're subject to the entire law. Because apparently it was it was beyond me to understand that you could actually celebrate a holiday and and not be doing it for legal reasons. You were doing it just to honor God. And then one day I was reading the book of Romans, and this kind of stood out to me. This says one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all day. He should be convinced fully in his own mind and observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor. You could celebrate the holiday in honor of God or you can choose not to as long as you're honoring God. And we shouldn't judge one another for it. It's like a light bulb. This is why you should read your Bible. You'll learn all kinds of stuff. You'll learn all kinds of stuff. See that's the thing is that as long as they're honoring God, it shouldn't matter. And you can look at it from a different angle because one of the things that we've done every every year, except for this year, actually, is of some logistics that changed, but we've always done something on on Halloween or around that season. We've done a fall festival or something. And there are some people that are just like I was reading an article on Faith Day. This says this worshiper is just blown away that Christians celebrate Halloween. And I'm like, I'm not celebrating it the same way you are. I figure this is the one time a year people are going to knock on my door. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So we do something so people can come in, they can have a safe time, They can be. we can do something for the community, we can show the community love, we've always done something. And people can criticize, but you know what? They're getting touched by Jesus when they come in. And we're doing it for the Lord, I'm not doing it for anybody else. You can call it Halloween, you can call it a fall festival, you can call it Thursday. Don't care. We're going to honor God, amen? Well, what about, what about... When we do the Easter stuff, every year for Easter we do something, whether we've been with the, the HOA in the park doing stuff, and, and people can criticize that because most people don't uh, correlate Easter with, with with the resurrection of Jesus so much as with a big fluffy Easter bunny giving out eggs. Even as a kid I didn't understand that. I'm like, why isn't it a chicken? Chicken do eggs. Why is it a bunny bringing eggs? It doesn't make any sense. Huh? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I didn't complain cuz candy came with it. So, we're going to we're going to let some stuff slide. Maybe I shouldn't have let it slide. I wouldn't have so much problem with my weight today. I was just taking every opportunity for sugar. Yeah, I know. But, you know, it's easy to criticize. Why are you upholding some We even had we even had the opportunity for one of our our folks to run around in the Easter money cos- costume. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing? Why if that's not from the law? You know what? I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm taking an opportunity to invite people to church to let people know that there's there's a church here with people in here that love them and care about them, and we're going to do this to honor the Lord. Just as we shouldn't judge others for their decision and what they're doing, as long as it's not sin, we shouldn't we shouldn't judge others. They shouldn't judge us, because the truth is, I'm willing to do everything. Anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Anything short of sin. Because if we can get them in one way or the other, then their life can be changed. And that's important. And he goes on, verses 7 through 9 For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, and Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living so it says what he's talking about there when he says that none of us lives some of those who are in christ jesus it says none of those who are in christ jesus that means that we live for him and not for ourselves we don't live for ourselves anymore we live for the one who gave everything for us when you got saved you didn't just call him your savior but he's your lord and Savior. And even jesus said why do you call me lord lord and not do what i say Well, that's a good question Jesus. We should ask that more often. Because we were bought for a price. An incredible price was paid for you. And to receive that gift, we call him the Lord of our lives. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And we do well if we keep this in mind as we evaluate those who are in the body of Christ as well. So often we can look at people and point a finger and we begin to size them up. We begin to determine what we think they're worth. And one of the, the things that I, I always think about when we're talking about determining worth of something, and you see this in, in the, uh, uh, the, the, the home market, you know, what a house is worth is not the sum of the materials. It's what people will pay for it. And they look at those around it and they say, all right, everybody here paid this much for this style of house or so this house is worth that much. That's how we should evaluate Christians. We look around and say, well, this one, Jesus' life was what was paid. This one, Jesus' life was what was paid. That must be what this one's worth over here, his life. He gave everything. What's something that's worth in the art world, which boggles my mind what people will pay for paintings. and But the thing is, is it's worth what people will pay for it. And God gave his son. He paid the ultimate price. He paid it all. He didn't hold anything back. He gave everything, even his own life, for us. And that's what we're worth. And it would do well if we would look at others, and that's what we would see their worth is, not based on the things that they've done, but what Jesus has done for them. We can't look at another Christian and decide that they have a different value as the one next to him, or even ourselves. 1 Corinthians two 1 through 2 says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's why you got to forgive people. You can't see people like that if you're holding on to a grudge. And then he continues on in verses 10-11. through 11. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you who... Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. said, our job as believers is not to pass judgment, to be the judgments of our brothers. But instead, Paul asks the question, why are you judging others? Why are you judging them? When they're going to kneel before the Lord, they're not going to kneel before you. Certainly not going to kneel before me. I would never walk into a hospital. Can you imagine? Michelle's in there. She's a surgical technician in Valley Hospital. She's getting ready to do a case. Could you imagine if I just walked in, put the gloves on, I'm going to work? I don't think anybody in the room would be happy. Least of which the person being operated on. You want to know why? Because that's not my job. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it right. I don't know how to do it well. It would be absurd if I were to walk in and begin to do that job. So why isn't it absurd when we begin to do the job that was left for Jesus? Why do we judge when it's Jesus' job to judge and not our own? Why do we not think that's absurd? When you begin to think it's stuff in, in these these little and it doesn't. Mean, oh, we 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 can we can do these things. And then you look at it and you get a little weird with it, like the me walking into a hospital and you're like, oh, that's kind of what that's like. It doesn't make any sense. How would you guys feel if I was the one who was responsible for designing the Twin Peaks Bridge? I don't think you'd want to drive over it. There's a chance I could get it right, I suppose. John 5.22 says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment. Even God doesn't judge. He's given that to His Son. Jesus is the one who judges. And we're to answer to Him for our actions. And so will all the believers. None of them are going to answer to me. None of them are going to answer to you. And if they're not required to answer to me, and if they're not required to answer to you, then what gives us the right to judge them? Amen? John 3, 16-18 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish But have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You know, one of the things I wanted to to make clear before we get to the next verse, those of you who who are reading ahead, you'll see that the next verse says each of us will give an account of himself to God. And we just learned that he's the one that's going to be judging us. He's going to be the one that we answer to. But before we get to that, I do want to make some things clear. One, we need to understand that when we stand to give an account to God, it's not for sin. If you're a believer, it's not for sin. But we do need to understand that we do when we do stand, when we do consider sin, that judgment is required. We learned in Romans 3.23, a couple months ago, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We learn in 6.23 that the penalty of sin is death. We learn that there is a penalty, there's a requirement, and we've all fallen short. And God is a just God. He's not a respecter of persons. Jew or Gentile doesn't make a difference. The penalty has to be paid. Judgment has to come for the sin. But if you're a believer, you will not be judged for sin because Jesus has already bore the judgment for you. So when we stand before God, It's not to account for sin because sin has been paid for. If we had to account for sin, then that means Jesus wasn't enough. And if Jesus wasn't enough, what we did certainly won't be enough, so we might as well just give up now. But I got news for you. What Jesus did was enough. It was more than enough. In Hebrews 9, 27 through 28, it says, Just as it is appointed for one man to die once, and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await for him. Sin is a done deal. The truth is, sin is a done deal even for unbelievers. Jesus paid for the sin of the entire world. God so loved the world, all of the world. He sent the Son. Sin has been paid for. Jesus paid the price of every person's sin. Nobody is going to hell because of their sin. They're going to hell because they didn't receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. We'll see in a second. They are storing up wrath for themselves if they don't receive that free gift. But sin has been paid for. It's been dealt with. Your sin is not unpaid for. And then when you say yes, all of a sudden Jesus scoops your sin in too. When he died, he died for the sin of the entire world. He said not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. John 5.24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me as eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So now we find out that if we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sin is taken care of, but then we also are not judged. We pass directly from death into life. It says he does not come into judgment, John 3.18 says, He who believes in Him, just in case you thought I'm making this up, or it's just in there once, this is the third scripture that talks about it. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has already been judged. If you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've not been judged. Jesus paid the price. But if you haven't received Him, then you've already been judged as guilty. And it says that he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Judgment isn't for sin for them, it's because they didn't believe in Jesus. So what's this all about then? If we're not judged, if it's not in regards to sin, what is he talking about? Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. First, this isn't in regards to sin. We just read that, right? When we stand before God, judgment is not in regards to sin. Really, this is in regards to what did we do with what God gave us? We're going to give an account for how we lived for him. We were purchased for a price. We're supposed to live for him. We're going to have to give an account. Were you generous with your earthly wealth? Were you there for your brother? Was your life a witness to God's love? Want to know a scary one? Listen to this. You're going to give an account for the words that you spoke. Matthew twelve thirty six. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. I'm not sure what exactly that's in regards to and what counts and what doesn't, but I think we need to make sure that it, always our words were filled with love, and they're encouraging. We're going to be asked, did you reach the gospel? Reach anyone with the gospel. Or did you spend your entire time sitting on your blessed assurance? When this day happens, what is Jesus going to say? We all want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But as Dr. Leon would always say, I hope that's what he says instead of standing before Jesus and he goes, well, done? We're going to have to give an account with what we did, with what he gave us. And like I said, this isn't in regard to judgment. The result of this accounting is not going to be you going to hell. The result of this accounting is not going to be you didn't have enough good stuff. You didn't do enough, so you're going to hell. It's not in regards to judgment. Unless you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you've already been judged and and that's where you're going. But I believe that when we stand before Him to give an account, it's for our reward. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 Through 9 says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are in God's field, God's building. We're going to receive our wages according to our labor in the kingdom of heaven. Second Timothy four six through eight says, "For I'm ready to be I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love is appearing." Revelation twenty two twelve says, "Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each." One for what he has done. This accounting is for a reward, a reward that will one day lay down at the feet of Jesus. I believe that we're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account. He's going to give us our reward, our crowns. And then in the in the same manner of the, of the 24 elders in the book of Revelation, they offered their crowns at Jesus' feet. Revelations 4, 9 through 11 says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever, and they cast their, throngs, their, throngs. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things by your will. They existed and were created. Church, one day we are going to give an account. We're going to stand before the God who gave everything for us. And I thank God it's not in regards to sin because I can't pay for that myself. But he paid for it all. So now we have a choice to make. We can either just just get saved, just hold on to that, or we can begin to live for him. And the truth is, I don't know how you don't. Matter of fact, if, if having a a, a revelation of what He did for you doesn't stir up something inside of you and want, make you want to live for Him, want to make a difference, I don't know what's going on inside of you. I don't, I don't know any other reaction that you can have. So church, let's live for the Lord. Let's view others as though they're living for the Lord. And finally, let's make sure we live our in such a way that when we do stand before Him, He says, well done. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and borrow our head as we finish.